All right, okay. All right, grab your outline if you have an outline or to help you follow along this morning. Grab a pen, grab an outline, open your Bible, and let's... Wow, you're having fun. Let's go to God's Word. Pray with me. Father God, teach us about truth. Teach us where to go to answers. To go to get the answers that you really uh, want us to have. But we love you. We thank you. Uh, thank you that uh, as a church family that we uh, can worship by listening. Uh, listening to you. Uh, engaging you in your Word and asking your Spirit to uh, help us put it to practice in our lives. We love you. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so when you need a little bit of information, I call it got truth, okay? When you need to get a little bit of truth um, uh, and, you, and you don't have it about, about anything, wh- what's the first place you go to? Anyone, what did what, you learn as you interacted? How many people go to Google? How many of that was your quick answer, okay? Okay, how many went to, what, what's another one? Siri. How many went to Siri? Any other Siri users? Okay, Siri's been busy lately. Have you noticed that? Someone needs to give her some help. I, I think lately, I'm sorry, I'm not available to help you right now. It's like, well, Siri, you know, anyway, so Siri's been busy, but she's available. Anyway, another answer. Mom. Now, how many put mom on their list? And it's not even Mother's Day. I, I love that. I didn't have that on my, on my list. My mom's in heaven, but I used to go to mom. Okay, now I go to Becky. Uh, who else? Who had Becky on their list? Raise your hand. Anyone else have Becky? Okay, you should have. She knows, she knows a lot. Any other answers? One more. Wikipedia. How many had Wikipedia in their top list? A few of you. Okay, yeah. You know, the idea is when we say, hey, I got truth, the answer to that question is yes. Because we live in the information age. We live on information overload in the culture that we're in today. If you ever need to know anything, my, my top three, and, and, and you brought them out, number one was Google. I can ask Mr. Google, Mrs. Google, whoever it is, I can ask Google just about anything, and the, and the, answer, and the answer, you know, pops up. Uh, I, I go to Wikipedia. I, I go to Siri, especially if it's a real simple thing. You know, is Becky home? Does she still love me? Siri says, I'm not qualified to answer that. You know, but, but uh, yeah, I love seeing sometimes if I can just get Siri to, to draw a blank. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's those we're, we're, we're surrounded by information. But if you change the question with one simple move, if you go from got truth to got truth, capital T, all of a sudden, a lot of people go blank. Siri goes, I can't answer that. Wikipedia probably says, I don't know. And Google comes up short. See, we know more truth and facts about more things today than ever in human history. Think about that. We have more knowledge than at any point in human history. But our culture questions whether anyone really has got Truth with a capital T. When you look up truth in the dictionary, even Webster's acknowledges the difference in truth with a little t, capital T. We'll get to that in a minute. But if you look up all the definitions, the last definition in Webster's says this. Got truth, it says truth by definition. It says when with a capital T refers to the divine or absolute truth or things pertaining to God. 
For us as Christians, the answer may be to this question, well, Dale, hey, come on, man. We understand that we have the Scriptures. We have truth with a capital T. We have the Holy Scriptures. Or uh, my Bible, this one doesn't have anything on the cover, but on the margin it says the, the Holy Bible, the perfect Bible, it, the divine, sacred Word. So we believe in the Holy Scriptures. We believe that we have truth with a capital T, but not everybody in today's culture holds this book in that high of regard. I think when I look at the culture in terms of, okay, Dale, why are we going into 2 Peter and where are we headed? Um, the, the reality is our culture thinks very differently about the Scriptures. Uh, to some, it, there's actually a reaction of hostility. One publisher, uh, when asked the question, because it was just a common interview and, and the person was interested, you know, you're in the business of books. So the publisher was asked this question, uh, what, name one book that you'd like everyone to read. And he thought for a second and his response was interesting. He said, I know, quote, I know a book that I'd like everyone to stop reading because it spread strange and untenable ideas about life, the Bible. That's hostility. Others are not hostile. They're just largely, I think, in our culture, ignorant of the Bible. I think the contents of this book intimidate even some of us, right, at times. It's a big book and a long book and little print and, and dual columns and even smaller footnotes. And, you know, it's intimidating. So ignorance is probably the prevailing view of the Bible. I checked uh, the most recent I think really reliable study, a uh, 2007 study of, uh, by the Pew Institute of Religious Thinking in America said that about 8 out of 10, actually 78% and trending downward, would, would self-identify as Christians in America. But when asked in, in a survey their, some of their thoughts on religious things, here's what the author summarized in his conclusion of the survey. He said the Bible isn't closed, it's just unknown to most people. Biblical illiteracy is such that 12% of American people think that Joan of Arc was married to Noah. Uh, to Noah. <laughs> Nona, I said Nona. See, even I'm ignorant of it. Okay, yeah, Noah. So Joan of Arc was married to Noah. How many of you thought that? I mean, it kind of makes sense. Okay. You know, 8 out of 10 U.S. adults claim to be Christian, but yet they are hazy and lazy about their faith. 4 out of 10 Christians are unable to name the four Gospels. Okay? I mean, everyone knows that you know, it's John and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? You know them, right? Uh, some people name the four Beatles when you think of those, but anyway, yeah, you know. Where's George's gospel? George Harrison, that is. Four out of ten Christians are unable to name the four gospels. Only half of those who claim to be, quote, born again and take their faith very seriously say that they read the scriptures during the week, only half. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, the old days of Leno before he went off late night TV, and I always liked his man-on-the-street interviews. And, and they tell this story from one of those when he was doing his man-on-the-street interviews, uh, and one time he got into questions about the Bible. So he said, can you name just one of the Ten Commandments? Asking two college-age women, one replied, freedom of speech? Leno then asked the other one, would you complete this sentence? That he who is, is without sin cast the first stone. Some of you knew that. 
the answer they gave was that he who is without sin, uh, have a good time? <laughs> Leno then asked a young man, uh, who according to the Bible was eaten by a large fish? And the confident answer came back quick, Pinocchio. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, so I mean, the, the, the reality is the Bible is largely ignorant. Some are hostile to it, some are just kind of ignorant of it. But I think many today, probably a growing majority, a growing percentage, uh, believe that the Bible and, and, quote, truth with a capital T does not even exist. Or if it exists, some believe, well, it probably exists, but I don't think any of us can really know it and know it with confidence that I could say what it is. So it either doesn't exist or it's unknowable. Chuck Colson in his book, How Now Shall We Live? I'd highly recommend it if you've not read it. It's a great book on understanding uh, the thinking of our culture and the thinking of Christianity and, and bringing the two together. Colson writes this about our culture today. He says, postmodernism dismisses the idea of universal truth as a tool of, of oppression wielded by, quote, dead white males. Because Darwinism has eliminated the transcendent, postmodernism draws the inevitable conclusion that there is no transcendent truth. Each of us is locked into our limited perspective by our race and gender and ethnic group and the, quote, search for truth that supposedly motivates education is a sham because it's not discoverable. The fastest growing segment of our culture that we live in, if you look at Christian, non-Christian, other religions, uh, and again, uh, in, on the broadest definition of Christian, about 78% say they would self-identify as a Christian. About half of those would self-identify as, as, as what we would call a more, a more evangelical Christian. Um, uh, it, it's interesting, though. Only about, uh, I wrote it down, only 4% actually uh, would affirm uh, belief in, uh, would actually call themselves atheists or agnostics. Only 4%. But yet, uh, about another, uh, another 16% would be, I have no faith or affiliation. In other words, I don't know what I believe. And that's kind of, and, and, and of all those points, Christians, people that follow other religions, people that are atheists or agnostic, uh, the fastest growing segment in our culture is the segment called, I don't know. I just don't identify with anything. So what we're going to do this fall is we're going to do an in-depth study of the book of 2 Peter. Why 2 Peter and where are we going? Let me just give you some highlights to kind of whet your appetite for each week of the series. If you're not able to be here, go online, be sure and, uh, and listen or download the podcast. When we talk about living truth... Because I think none of us are interested in just having more knowledge. None of us are interested in a Wikipedia Christianity where we've got all the facts, all the figures, all figured out and accessible, but yet it doesn't affect life. I don't have time for that. I want to learn how I can take truth that really matters with a capital T and live truth. Live truth. We're going to look at these questions. How do we really know that we have true faith? What's it mean to have true faith? What's it mean to practice or live truth? That'll come up more next week. 
How can I trust God's truth completely, or can I really trust it? And what about other claims to truth? What about other religions? They all have a book which claims on its cover somewhere, this is truth with a capital T. So what about other religious books? We're going to take a whole week and kind of talk about other supposed truths. What about false teachings? What about other movements that teach falsehood? Where's human history headed? That'll be an interesting week. How do we know the truth about where is all of this going to end up? And then finally, what is the truth about eternity in chapter 3 of 2 Peter? So it's going to be a fun study. But let's get started. Open your Bibles. Let's go to the first four verses today. Uh, Actually, dip into verse 5 a little bit too. We'll come back to that again next week. But let's go to the Word. Do we have truth? We believe, of course, you can believe that you have truth. Listen to the Word of God. 2 Peter chapter 1, 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is the same Peter who was one of the early young followers of Jesus. This is the same Peter that uh, on several occasions said, you know, Jesus, I will die for you and I will die with you if necessary. It's the same Peter that pulled out a sword when they came to arrest Jesus and went for the head of a guy and missed and lopped off his ear. This is that Jesus and this is the same Peter that did all that. So this same Peter also was the same Peter that later when Jesus was arrested and and the heat was on, uh, you know, he denied Jesus, not once, not twice, three times, right? On the third time, he even added a few, uh, we don't know what they were, but it says he actually cursed, uh, threw out a, a few good saucy curse words to convince people he really had no identity with Jesus. It's the same Peter that Jesus showed up and appeared to after his resurrection and said, hey man, I love you, I forgive you, let's go build the church. This is the same Peter that Jesus said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter affirmed his love and and was given a second chance, third chance, fourth chance. Okay, this is Peter. So Peter writes now and he says, Peter, the bondservant and apostle of Jesus to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us precious, magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers, now underline this one, of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now by this, for for, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence knowledge and knowledge self-control and he goes into a list that we'll study next week so what do we learn from the passage well first let's talk a little bit about why peter was so excited i mean you can just see it in this thing he says man i am so excited because we have the true knowledge of the true god and that's making all the difference in the world and it'll change your life this is one of the greatest passages in the book Let me break it out into three big ideas and we'll kind of talk about each of them. Number one, the big idea first is Peter is saying, hey, our faith has real truth about a real God. Our faith has real truth about a real God. 
It's interesting, he has several phrases in the New American Standard Version that I'm usually reading from. He says, I'm writing to all of you who have a faith of the same kind as ours. Now, this Greek word that's translated the same kind is a rare word. It only appears one time in the entire New Testament. But when you study it outside of the New Testament, the word means, um, it means of the same kind, meaning of the same quality, of the same quality as ours. Which is why, by the way, it's a word that means uh, to be honored or valued. Something that's uh, of a kind that is valuable or honored. That's why if you have a New International Version, a lot of you like to read the, the NIV version, you would find that it actually translates this which way? Talk to me. Who has it? Precious. Yeah, he says a faith as precious as ours. He talks about a faith that is through the true knowledge of God. You see, in Christianity, our search is not for something or just anything to believe in because, you know, it kind of helps to sprinkle a little, um, you know, uh, spirituality on your life so you have a little bit of God mixed into your life, so you have a little bit of morality, you believe in being nice. And, you know, Christianity is not that. See, what Peter was excited about was, wow, we have discovered the true faith about the true God. And it's real. And that's what changes everything. It's interesting for me, at least, back in July, Becky and I were going through the Nairobi airport, and our flight got delayed by three hours. Now, you're in the Nairobi airport. If you've ever been there, there's not much, okay? There is one coffee shop, okay? That's it, the very end of the terminal. And, uh, and, and so, you know, after only so much coffee, then we got transferred to the gate, and we went to the gate, and then we got further delayed, like another two hours. It was, it was wicked. But, you know, as we're sitting there, I, I could not help but notice uh, right in the same area that we were hanging out, I noticed a, a, Mus- a Muslim gentleman with his two young children and his wife, wife dressed in full burqa, black, only see her eyes. And, uh, and, and I started talking, just befriending him. I said, you know, you got two beautiful children, and that's all it took. And then he'd say, oh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> they are beautiful, aren't they? Yeah, you know. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and as I began to talk to him, I found out what he did. He lives in England. He's from Tanzania. Never been back to Tanzania for 14 years. His, grand, his parents had never seen their grandchildren. They were so excited, you know, so they were taking. So, so we began talking, and, and I found out all about his business. And eventually he comes back and says, so what do you do? You know, what do you do? So I say, well, in fact, I never tell him I'm a pastor. You know, because as soon as I say I'm a pastor, it's like, woohoo, end of discussion. But, but I tell the truth. I say, well, I do leadership training for organizations, especially um, relief organizations. Oh, that's so great. And I says, yeah, you know, what do you do? I so I'm telling about the training. It's based out of a book called How to Lead and Still Have a Life. And he says, yeah, that sounds interesting. I said, well, you can go, you can go to Amazon and, and, and download it or whatever. And he said, I might do that. And, and, then, and, then, and then he says, so, you know, what's, your, what's it coming from? I said, well, it's coming from a Christian perspective because it's, a, it's, a, it's based on the leadership model of Jesus. And I, and I, I wanted to have full disclosure. So I finally said, yeah, and I also pastor a church in California. Yeah, and, and his response was very interesting. His response was, that's great. He says, the world needs more of that. And I said, well, thank you. Yeah, I, I would agree. And then he said this. He said, you know, I tell my two sons that as they grow up, and they're like seven and nine or something, yeah, he said, as they grow up, I want my children to have spirituality. He says, now, I'm Muslim and you're a Christian. He says, but I, I really don't care what faith my sons have as long as they have some spirituality in their life. 
Wow, that surprised me. But you know, that's the dominant view. That's the dominant view in our culture. And even with this particular Muslim, that was his view. His view, now why would you hold that view? I want you to think about that. Because it tells me something about what his view of truth is. Let me tell you two things about truth that you need to not forget today. Two things about truth that are vital, that our culture doesn't understand. Number one, truth, by definition, American Heritage Dictionary, I'll show it to you, is conforming to knowledge, fact, or actuality, to reality. Um, Actuality, and then truth with a capital T is in reference to God or divine truth. You see, truth understood really does exist. In today's culture, and especially in media, when we talk about truth about God or our faith in God, it's often assumed that all faith systems, all faiths are actually grounded not in truth, not in fact, but in fantasy. That's really the prevailing view, I think, of our culture. And I think that was kind of his prevailing view. You know, anytime you meet someone who says, well, I I think kind of all all religions are true, stop and think about that statement. Because I think what it reveals is that you you don't really say in all religions are true. What you're really saying is I think all religions are false or probably have a little bit of partial truth mixed in but you know and and therefore since since we agree that all religions are kind of man-made messed up screwed up uh, systems of thinking then whichever one whichever one you want to pick that makes you feel better makes you live a little better be a little nicer is okay with me because you're really saying that there is no absolute truth In a book called Soul Tsunami, the author, after surveying American thinking on truth, said this. He was interviewing a uh, popular entertainer, and they said this. He says, I'm not going to downplay organized religion because it makes a lot of sense for people who, who, who don't know anything. And then he goes on to say later, I pretty much make up my own religion. I don't go to church, but I respect God. Now, that is becoming a a growing way to think about these things in our culture. See, Christianity, however, is the pursuit of real truth about a real God. And Peter is excited. He's excited because he says, what I want to teach you is is I want to teach you how to live truth, responding to real truth about a real God. Now, that's something worth learning about. Amen? Yeah. That makes a difference. Peter was excited for a second reason about this discovery that there really is the true knowledge of the true God. And that is this, that truth by nature is always unique and often exclusive. That's the second thing we need to learn today about the essence of truth. That truth really isn't as open-minded as we think it is. Truth by nature is unique and often exclusive. Now, let me illustrate this in a, in a different way. Let's say you're going to take a flight today out of San Diego or L.A., and you're going to fly to Hawaii, right? So you're going to Hawaii on vacation or, or wherever you're going. 
And, and, and you're going to get on the plane and you bump into the pilot before you get on. And you're talking to the pilot. And, 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 and you say to the pilot, hey, wow, I'm glad you're flying my plane. You know, how long have you been flying? And he said, oh, many, many years. And he said, I said, great. I said, where'd you get, you know, where'd you get your training? He says, well, you know, I got trained years ago, but you know, I don't pay attention to that anymore. He says, you know, because I'm kind of a postmodern pilot. And I believe in the age of postmodernism that there is no absolute truth. And, and I've been told, oh, for example, you know, the old school thinking always has these charts that the descent path should be at a certain angle, certain speed, and you need to be above a certain speed but below another speed as you hit the runway and your flaps need to be up instead of down. He says, you know something, I just kind of go with my vibe. You know, whatever kind of feels good to me, uh, that's how I like to fly. I, I just think it's a new age and I'm a new age pilot. Now, what do you do? On or off the plane? <laughs> See, if you're smart, you're saying, you know something, I think I'm going to rebook. But, you know, because there are some, quote, facts about aeronautics, and they've been studied for years. There's some truth with a little t, not capital T, but there are some little t truths about aeronautical engineering and aeronautical flight that I kind of want my pilot to be old school and to say, you know, there's probably some absolute truths about the way that I'm going to land the plane. I've been well trained in that. I believe it. I'm going to follow it. I like that. I don't want a postmodern pilot. Or you go to the doctor and you say, hey, you know, doc, I've got this set of symptoms. What should I take? And he says, you know, well, you know, there, there's some medical facts that we've been taught in med school. But, you know, since I've really engaged in this kind of postmodern thinking, I'm kind of more of a postmodern doctor. And I say, what, what's that mean? He says, well, you know, I threw out all my textbooks and all that stuff. And, and I just don't follow any of that. I just kind of, I just kind of uh, meditate over you. And whatever I feel like giving you, I, I prescribe that. So what do you do with that doctor? Answer? Find another one. Because there are facts, there are truths, and, and you want, when possible, when things are important, your health, you in an airplane, you kind of want truth to be applied. You want your doctor, you want your pilot to, say it with me, live truth, right? So then we come to the topic of God. And all of a sudden in our culture, our culture wants to believe that, well, you know, whatever God you kind of believe in, well, then he's real for you. And that's good enough. The fact of the matter is truth in all those areas is often unique and often exclusive. Dennis McCallum in his book, uh, Christianity, the Faith That Makes Sense. I like this book. Dennis writes this, he says, when the Hindu scriptures teach that souls are reincarnated and Christianity teaches that man is, quote, destined to die once and after that face judgment, Hebrews 9.27, someone has to be wrong. Of course, they could both be wrong if there is no afterlife, but they cannot both be right. This turns out to be the case in one area after another. The religions of the world contradict each other directly. Now, there's always some overlap, okay? Is it wrong to, 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 uh, to commit adultery or is it wrong to lie or steal? Yeah, there's a lot of overlap in religious teaching, but in terms of the big idea of who is God? How does he think? 
What is the true knowledge of God? What is the true knowledge of Jesus? What is the true knowledge of how to be forgiven of your sins? What is the true knowledge of eternity and what's it going to be like? Those are all things that are absolutely either true or false. And we have to realize we live in a culture that, oh, I never thought about that, is often their response. But in 2 Peter, we learn that there is a true knowledge of a true God. And that should excite us. Now, if you're wondering about why do we believe that our Bible has evidence to be uniquely true when held up against other faiths, I want to refer you back to a three-part sermon series we did, 2012, called Irrefutable. There's the logo on the screen. Irrefutable, a three reasons for faith. We talked about, can I trust the Bible? Was Jesus really unique? And did he really rise from the dead? Those are three big issues. There's a whole message on each of those. You may want to make note of that. Go to our website. They put a special link this week where you can go and download that podcast from 2012. So if you're sitting there today, which I am sure some of you are, and you're sitting there wondering, Dale, how do I really know that our truth is the real truth about a real God? then go and listen to those messages and come back for the rest of Second Peter. But let's roll on. There's a second big thing in Second Peter. The first, the big idea is we got the real truth about a real God. Number two is this true faith. Here's another great truth from Second Peter. That true faith is potentially powerful and transformational. Powerful and transformational. Listen to verses two through four again. And I want you to listen to the list of all the cool things that are promised in there. In fact, because I knew we'd be rushed for time today, if you take your outline, I actually provide this list with all the answers in a box, all right? So take it home and and read it as you uh, spend time reviewing the message of the morning. But here it is. I call it the precious, magnificent promises of God. And I'll list them quickly. Number one, he says, grace and peace are multiplied to you because of this. That divine power is available to you. We'll get the list up and then talk about them. Life and godliness are accessible. He says the divine nature becomes your new nature in Christ. He says you can actually experience growing to be more and more like God. That you might be partakers of the divine nature. Wow, what a promise. He says that, that, uh, that you are set free, the opposite of that, from just living Uh, from your old uh, lust-driven self that was you, that you were trapped in. And when you think about that list, that's a pretty great list. That's a pretty great list. And what we're going to learn is as you go through 2 Peter, we're going to come back and unpack some of these. But I think this is what people want. People in today's culture, in every culture around the globe, don't they, they're looking to, to experience forgiveness, grace, How do I know that someone loves me just the way I am? Unconditional love. The unconditional love of God. That's worth discovering. He says grace and peace might be multiplied to you. What's it mean to have a multiplication of grace and peace? Well, it's waking up every day knowing, you know, so I am totally at peace with God because of His grace. Because I know I'm forgiven, I can have 100% total be at peace with the fact that I'm at peace with God. In fact, 
Coming into peace with God then helps me to be at peace with other people. It teaches me how to forgive other people and healthier relationships. And, and it helps me have peace with the circumstances of my life, knowing that God is with me and working in the midst of all my troubles. And so I can have peace with me and God, peace with me in daily life, and peace with me and other people. And I can have an eternal peace promised to me. Now that's a lot of peace worth pursuing. So if you look at this list, the divine power of God's Spirit is available to you because you learn the truth about Jesus is He died, He rose from the dead, and He sent His Spirit to live in us. Wow, that's a radical idea. He says these promises of God give you everything pertaining to life and godliness. You want to be more godly? That sounds appealing. You want to have life? Yeah. Then everything in it is in the magnificent promises promised in, in, in Second Peter and in the Scriptures. The divine nature, you're set free. You don't have to be trapped by your past. This is an awesome, appealing list. This list captures the essence of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and, and if, we've never, if you're not living with an awareness of these five things every day, then we're going to help you as we go through Second Peter. So number one, we have real truth. Real truth about a real God. That's good news. Secondly, these real truths about a real God unlock precious, magnificent promises that, are, that capsulate everything a person in their soul is looking for. This is exciting. Number three, this life-changing faith goes into function whenever you combine it with trust and obedience. And we're going to end on that in verse 5. Look at verse 5 with me. He says, now, for this very reason, because up until now in verse 1 through 4, he hasn't asked you to do anything because all of these are a gift from God. He says, now, put it into practice. Applying all diligence. In your faith, you supply moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Down through verse 7. We're going to come back to it next week. What I want you to see is simply this. You experience a changed life not just by knowing truth. You experience a changed life when you have this. It's not, just, it's not just real truth with the real God because that can also be powerless religion if that's all you have. See, the Jews in the days of Jesus, they had the real truth about the real God, right? But Jesus said, you know, you, you have no power. This thing is not changing your life. Something's missing so you, even if you have real truth about the real God, that's not enough. You need more than that. Or you can have, well, you say, well, I, I trust the truth, but I just don't want to do it. I just don't obey it. Well, if you trust it, but you don't obey it, then you have hypocrisy. That's a different problem. So, so that leads to hypocrisy and just self-deception. I have the real truth. I have the real God. I believe it. I have my faith in Jesus. I just don't do what Jesus asked me to do. I just can't, I'm not going to go there. That's how, that leads to hypocrisy. So what is the formula of the morning? This is why I would capture verses 1 through 5. I'm going to go back and make it as simple as common math. Number one, you need the real truth about the real God. Believing strongly in a false God is trouble. You need the real truth about the real God. But then you need to multiply that. That's my mathematical brain going into operation. You multiply that by saying, and I'm going to trust it. I'm going to put my faith in it. I'm going to believe it and trust it. 
And when you combine that with obedience, and I'm going to do what it asked me to do, now you have a changed life. That's the changed life formula. Another way to say it is this. The right faith, because that's faith as a noun. It's what you believe. Okay? It's the truth that you believe. The right faith multiplied by a strong faith. That's faith as a verb. That's putting it into action. And taking steps of faith. That's obedience. Changes everything in our lives. So where are you today? Real truth with the real God? Maybe you have the real truth, but you... You're saying, God, I'm, I'm just not trusting you. Take your real truth about the real God and, and multiply it with a decision that I'm going to trust it. Put my faith in it. And then take the steps of faith that flow out of it. And then you experience the living Christ. Then you begin to live truth. Pray with me. Father, thank you for these uh, rich verses. And as we respond to it in song, we want to uh, express to you our commitment to, uh, to not just know you, but to follow you. We ask you to uh, help each of us in this room to say, Lord Jesus, my faith is in you. This may be the first day of your life to pray this prayer. So I trust what you did on, on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. I thank you for dying for my sins. I thank you that I can experience your grace, your love, and be at peace with you. So I choose today to take the real truth about the real God and to say, I believe. I trust you and it to deliver in my life. We worship you now in Christ's name. Amen.